welcome to the Engaging Talent Podcast brought to you by CPL, where you'll find out about emerging talent solutions and insights from the world of work. I'm Siobhan O'Shea, Client Services Director with CPL, and over this series of podcasts, I'll be discussing a range of issues that are changing how we work and how companies hire talent. From resilience and well-being to sustainability in tech, the Engaging Talent Podcast will keep you informed and your talent engaged. On this week's episode, we're looking at the very topical issue of mental health and wellness, asking where does the responsibility lie and is the obsession with workplace wellness really benefiting employees? Joining me to cover these issues is Alicia Hegarty, Workplace Wellness Lead at CPL's Future of Work Institute. Alicia, welcome to the Engaging Talent Podcast. The term wellness is mentioned a lot lately, Alicia. What exactly does it mean? Wellness can mean different things to a lot of people, but in short, wellness, particularly in the context of the workplace, is where both the employee and the employer collaborate to use continual improvement process to protect and promote the health, safety and well-being of all workers. And it's not just in the context of our physical or mental wellness, but at the Future of Work Institute, we look at it across eight dimensions of wellness. So it also considers things like financial wellness, occupational, intellectual, environmental, spiritual and social wellness. You know, in terms of looking at responsibility when it comes Mm. to wellness, do you see it as sitting with the employer or the employee? So be a little controversial here and I'm going to say both Mm -hmm. because I'm responsible for my own health and well-being, not necessarily my employer or my husband or anyone else really. And so there is an element of personal accountability that I think we tend to forget sometimes because there is an awful lot of an emphasis put on the employer now don't get me wrong the employer has a responsibility as well but I think for us as individuals stress is always going to be there you know we're never really going to get remove the stress from any area of our life even even in 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 the context of work but what we do have control over is our ability to react to it and to manage it and I think that that's where employers can kind of help as well so Employers have a responsibility to not necessarily make people sicker. Mm -hmm. And we can see from increased stress-related diseases that the number one cause of stress in the world is the workplace. And it can be, in some ways, making people sicker. And my fear, I suppose, is that new ways of working or future ways of working are going to cause new work-related stressors like caused by technology, job insecurity, maybe increased social isolation. So employers also have a responsibility here to create workplaces where people can thrive and not just survive, if I'm to use a buzzword. Um, so they do have, they have a responsibility to make sure that we don't leave in a worse mental or physical state at 5pm than you did when you came in at 9am. And so that comes down to a deliberate approach a cultural change to how we how we work and how do you see kind of digital tech and media playing into that there's pros and cons here there's 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 huge benefits to technology now we can we can access apps and we have you know trackers and wrist watches that we can count our calories and our steps and it can tell us how much sleep we got and in some ways it can be very very beneficial to help us recover for the next day of work as such. But also there is, and I was going to say new, it's not necessarily a, a, a new uh, challenge, but it's getting worse, I suppose, is this techno stress, which is a term that was actually coined in 1984 when the internet first ex- existed. But actually techno stress is our ability to not only engage with technology and our always on kind of culture, 
But to our fears and our insecurities of um, technology taking over some of our jobs in the future. And, you know, we're learning how to use one particular platform and we finally get to use it and understand how to use it. And then it needs to be upgraded and we all have to be retrained again. So it, the, uh, that all of those elements in technology are providing kind of positive and negative consequences. So it's, it's understanding, I suppose, both from both ends that... You know, even when we're implementing new technology into a workplace that you're using change management programs and you're mindful of people's the impact it has on people's health and well-being even um hr departments are now writing policies on leaveism which i didn't heard myself until last year so leaveism is essentially the policies against leaveism are people can access we can access our phones and our emails almost everywhere um and so even when we're on annual leave or when we're on sick leave and we're not necessarily meant to be working or at the weekends when we're most meant to be kind of switching off and, you know, unplugging. Yeah, you know, I see this pun myself, intended. it's really hard. <laughs> yeah. You know, we're all yeah. used to kind of being constantly available yeah. because we've got, you know, our phones glued to our mm-hmm. hands mm-hmm. and, you know, it's really hard to it switch is, off. It is, particularly for people who have access to their work phones on their person or their work emails on their personal phones. And I, I for one, have two separate and for me, it was an, it was a challenge to manage two phones, but actually it forces me to turn one off and put it away for the weekend so I can't um, access it. But yes, I think to get back to kind of leaveism now is policy, the writing policies around leaveism to stop people um, uh, logging in when they're meant to actually be resting and be be logging off. So I think the, that and the techno stress are definitely things that need to be managed and the always on culture needs to be managed. But that's that's a personal thing. But it's also the employers needs to take ownership of creating a culture where they don't expect you to reply um, to an email at three o'clock in the morning, mm-hmm. which I, I, and I know people who, you know, friends of mine or, and family members who, who work in situations and work in organizations where that is the culture that you have to be always on. So how did you, Alicia, get involved in workplace wellness? I've been interested in health for a very long time and actually my background is in human resource management and I left my HR course and actually started in recruitment, believe it or not, (laughs) and then went through a variety of different HR roles. Um, But alongside this, um, I used to teach dance. I was a dance instructor and then I trained as a fitness instructor and I studied nutrition and cognitive behavioral therapy. I've just been really interested in all of that stuff. And I kind of did those as side gigs alongside my HR career. Um, which had positive and negative effects because I ended up getting kind of being reaching burnout and stuff like that, trying to manage a passion. And that was kind of a semi career as well as my HR career. And it wasn't, I suppose, until I started my first real leadership role um, where I I suppose I'm, 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 I'm a yes person and I'm a go, go, go person and I'm a take every opportunity in order to enhance my career type of person and you know I started experiencing challenges with my own health in terms of you know hormonal imbalances and chronic fatigue and gut issues and vertigo and I remember being in a meeting one time with a colleague of mine and I gripped the table because I felt like the table was upending like we were on a boat or something it was really really bizarre but it made me realize that I wasn't looking after and this is ironic because I knew a lot around nutrition and health and you know I wasn't applying it to my own health and well-being and really kind of taking the time I needed to recover 
as such. And um, so I was working in this organization and we were given two years uh, notice of being made redundant. An engagement fell, morale fell, as you can imagine. And we, um, we still had clients to service. So it was really important that those things were maintained. So I proposed to, um, you know, bring back the wellness program and um, I took lead of some of it and implemented, uh, I suppose I was able to reach out to my health network. So I was able to implement things within the workplace and it um, was really well received and it was really, you know, positive, had a positive impact on the organisation. But then I kind of felt, you know, there's, there's a little bit of a gap here. And I set up my own business then when I was made redundant as a workplace wellness consultant. And I essentially was doing the very same thing for some organizations. And now I'm here doing it with CPL and their clients. So, wow. And, and yeah. just, it must have been really scary to have experienced that feeling of burnout. You know, yeah. what, what advice would you give, I suppose, to those out there who are maybe recognizing what you're saying? Yeah. Or equally employers who can yeah. see some of their employees or yeah. maybe experiencing some of those yeah. things. I think from an individual perspective, it's really recognizing when you're taking too much on mm-hmm. um, and trying to prove yourself and sometimes being having open conversations with your peers or your manager. And, and like that, I had a team as well. And the whole you know, the, the thing with, with leadership as well is that you're not meant to always, obviously it's stressful, but to take you have a team now that you can delegate things to as well. So I suppose I was on a little bit of a learning curve there as well. And having had conversations with maybe my manager at the time, I may ha- have re- relieved some of that burden. Mm-hmm. But I think also, knowing when you're doing too much and knowing when to rest and I obviously sought help and you know I went I got coaching and counseling and support with my nutrition and I already had the fitness thing down you know Mm. but sometimes that can cause more stress but um, I remember one one um, recommendation was to was to try yoga And for me, I was like, I can't, that's too slow. I can't sit still or, you know, stretch and deep breathing. I don't have time for that. That's not productive, you know. And it took me, I'd say, about a good six to eight months to really embrace the full benefits of yoga because I was trying to win at yoga. And I realized my competitive mentality, the idea with yoga is that wow. you just embrace it and, you know. Well, I'd say a lot of people could relate to that. Potentially. So they could, even in terms of embracing all these mm. mindfulness, you know, um, trends that we're seeing as yes. well. You know, it's, I, 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 would str- I struggled myself yeah. with those apps that we're all being advised to listen to yeah. just to switch off. Yeah, it can be um, hard. It it's can a be kind hard. of a mindset shift, yeah. really, isn't it? And I down, I remember I, what I used to do because it was on Grafton Street where I worked and I downloaded this app called Budify because, again, I couldn't get into meditation because I was like I can't sit still it was just the nature of who I am I'm very different now I can, I can do it now but it's taken me a long time and this is going about back about five years or so and I downloaded this app called Budify and reason I really liked this was because it was moving meditations so it was a little wheel and you could choose what you were doing whether you were sitting um, having your lunch or whether you were in a cafe or whether you were walking around a park and there was one in particular that I would listen to every, every lunch break walking 10 minutes walking around Stephen's Green listening to this app and it brings you just into the present and you're listening to the leaves or you know you're smelling the air and you're the 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 wind on your face and all of these things just kind of bringing you back into the present and it has a really kind of cool thing where you can breathe at the pace of your um feet so as you're walking you're slowing and slowing down your pace so you're slowing down your breathing and then you're getting yourself out of this fight or flight mode and back into this kind of rest and digest mode where you're you're feeling a little bit more relaxed and a little bit more prepared for what's to come on for the rest of the day, really. So that was one of the biggest things that had a really positive impact on me at that time. 
Well, that sounds great. I'm definitely going to yeah. try that one out yeah. myself. <laughs> um, so in terms of Alicia, I suppose, what are some of the tangible solutions that you have seen to be effective? Yeah. So really, the most effective solutions are the ones that are needed. And many HR, and I say HR because this is usually where where the kind of wellness sits, I suppose, in most organizations. They design the program without, I suppose, understanding what the employee's need is or what they're really looking for. So they, they, they think And it's not their fault because traditionally wellness is seen quite narrow in terms of the physical and mental health and that's it really. We're seeing a lot more now in terms of the financial well-being but they only focus on that and then they design it themselves and then it's like here's our programme but it might, might not necessarily be what employees need or what they're looking for. So when I, so when I was Back to when I was working with some of um, the organisations when I was self-employed, I was doing that. That's what I, that's what I thought wellness was, and that's what I was doing. And I was like, why are we not really seeing the results that we want to see? People are mm. still stressed, yeah. you know. And so then I started researching the factors and mediators of stress, which are very very different. It's 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 lack of career opportunities, it's job insecurities, it's things like that fall under occupational wellness and and conflict on the teams and not managing those. And so when we started looking at um, building out a diagnostic tool as part of our services uh, in the Future of Work Institute, we look at taking an under an underlying root cause approach to really understanding what's contributing to the stressors um, in the workplace in the areas of those eight dimensions that I mentioned at the start. So, for example, in one organisation, we found that financial wellness was having the biggest impact on employees' health and well-being. And that was mostly around frequently worrying about their personal finances and budgeting. Another was intellectual wellness and particularly around cultural, a conflict on the team due to cultural differences. And so this really enables us to put what I call atypical solutions in place that you wouldn't necessarily consider wellness, but ultimately is having an impact on people's overall health and well-being. So that's what I would see as having the most tangible results are the ones that are answering the pain points or the challenges that people are having. Brilliant. And are employers embracing the trends? I mean, some of them are. Some of them still see it as fluffy. For some people, and a lot of the challenges I get is I get calls from HR people who are like, I'm, you know, I really see the benefit of this. I really want to, or my, my, my employer to embrace it. But they, they, they struggle to put the business case together. But then there, on the other hand, there, there are some organizations that are seeing the benefits. And only recently, some uh, an organization reached out to me to say, I need your help with our wellness strategy. And I'm like, wow, that's the first time I've actually heard someone phrase it that way. It's like, it's it's finally people, and this is my ambition. I want people to to think broader um, when it comes to um, workplace wellness. I think it's happening, but it's a, it's a, it's a slow burner. Okay, so Alicia, um, if an employer was to take three things away from this podcast to make, I suppose, their own wellness offerings more impactful, what would you suggest? First of all, I would suggest making your wellness program a deliberate, strategic change. So what do you want as an employer want to get from it? Is it improved engagement? Is it improved productivity? Is it reduced absenteeism or health costs or reduced attrition? Um, so it's really understanding from that perspective um, what what you want to get out of it and then designing it or 
un, in 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 that in that way. Otherwise, you're just you're just throwing things at people and hoping that it's just going to make them a little bit healthier. But really, there's nothing that you can measure it on. So it's really understanding what you want to get and then measuring it on, and then approach wellness as you would any other change management strategy. So that's what it is really. It's change management. It's culture. It's not just free fruit on a Wednesday and a yoga class. It has to have full um, change that people are brought into it because healthy employees are happy employees and happy employees enjoy their work and they're ready people are ready to come to work to give 100% that's what we work for we want to come in we want to give 100% so why not create the environment to do for them to do that and then I think if you're a HR person listening to this and you thinking my employer is never going to buy into this I'd start by start by building your business case show them how it can impact them and the organization and start thinking strategically and um, continue to build your case and also start with the low-hanging fruit you know what can you do for free can you measure the impact and then use that as part of your business case super Alicia thank you so much thank for you. your insights thank and you. for joining us today I appreciate it thank you so much that's it for this episode of the Engaging Talent Podcast brought to you by CPL. And for more information on workplace wellness and for further employer resources, don't forget to visit the Engaging Talent Podcast page at cpl.com. We'd really welcome your feedback on this series. So do please rate, review and subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Siobhan O'Shea, thanks for listening and we'll be back next week to find out about the latest emerging talent solutions.